0: Our scripture readings this morning, first from Zechariah chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. I asked the angel who talked to me, what are these, my Lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it then you will know that the lord almighty has sent me to you who dares despise the day of small things since the seven eyes of the lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of zerubbabel the second scripture this morning comes from the gospel of matthew chapter 13 verses 31 through 33 it's the story of the parables of the mustard seed and, and the yeast. He told them another parable, "The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: We looked last week at one of Jesus' parables here in Matthew 13, we, we saw then that the whole chapter is full of parables, one after another that Jesus tells. And we saw that they're all parables of the kingdom, where Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he tells the story, tells the parable. We also saw last week that each of these parables tells us something important about the nature of the kingdom but that no single parable tells us everything we need to know. Here in the passage that Kevin read, we see two stories. The parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast. They have a couple of things in common. First thing is that they initially appear very small and insignificant. And then they eventually appear very substantial and important. Also see that there's no obvious connection between where they start and where they finish. Have any of y'all picked up any of the seed packets that are on offer out there? If I shake it, mine says, Zinnia, giant cactus mixed colors. I know what a zinnia is. I know what a cactus is. But I don't know what a zinnia giant cactus is. But when I shake it, I can hear the seeds. And if you all have it, just shake your seed pack, whatever it is. If you didn't get one, they're out there on the table. You can get some when you go. Little bitty tiny seeds. This seed packet has a picture on the front of... Of what the flower is going to look like, what the plant's going to look like when it grows. I haven't opened my little packet, but I've seen zinnia seeds before, and those seeds don't look anything like that flower. They're little bitty black spots. You get that little bitty ba- black spot, and you put it in the dirt add some water and sunshine, and you get one of these. Well, Actually, you get a bunch of these. It's amazing how that little tiny seed becomes something significant. Or we might look at the woman with the yeast. She's got the yeast, and she's got... Did you catch how many pounds of flour? Sixty. That's a bunch of flour. And she mixes the yeast in with the flour, and she gets bread that rises, like, maybe like the bread we're going to do at communion today, although I don't think our loaf weighs 60 pounds, fortunately. So it starts small. It grows. Gets big. That's how Jesus started off. We look at Jesus calling people. Jesus doing his kingdom work. He comes across some fishermen. Peter and Andrew, two people. James and John, two people. Matthew, single person. Jesus starts small. And then the core group of disciples. Anybody have any idea how big the core group of disciples was that went around with Jesus? There's 12. 12 is not a real big number. Jesus started small, and he's okay being small. In fact, as we look at the way he does his ministry, sometimes he would do things that would pare down that number. We look at John chapter 6. We see Jesus saying some things about himself that seem sort of strange. And it says there toward the end of the chapter that when he said these things, some of those who followed him, some of his disciples left him. Jesus, you've gone too far. Jesus, you're off in left field. Jesus, you're confused. We'll go find some other rabbi. The number goes down and Jesus sees them going away. And he says to Peter and to the 12 who are still there, are are y'all going to leave me too? And the indication I get reading John chapter 6 is that Peter doesn't understand Jesus and what he's saying any more than the people that left. But Peter knew something about Jesus. He knew there was something there that he couldn't let go of. And he said to Jesus, Lord, you alone have the words of life don't understand it all. I don't get it all, but I'm sticking with you. Jesus starts small. Or we could look toward the time of his arrest. Jesus is praying there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the 12 are there praying with him, and the authorities come, and they arrest Jesus. And how many of the 12 stick with Jesus? How many of the 12... Follow Jesus and when he's on trial before the high priest stand up for him and when he's before Pilate on trial stand up for him how many of the disciples are doing that? Zero well unless you count Peter Peter followed at a distance but then when a little girl came up to him and said you were with Jesus weren't you? nope never met the man Jesus starts small, very small. What, what we might even think of as insignificantly small. And we look at the story of Zerubbabel and Zechariah. Am I right to think that none of you named your children Zerubbabel? Might have other Bible names in your family, but no Zerubbables yet. It may, maybe in a couple of years you'll have some Zerubbables. Zerubbabel was from the line of David. He was a descendant of the royal line. He's not a king, but he's a leader. This is happening after Assyria has come and destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel and carried the people off. This is coming after the Babylonians have come, destroyed the temple, burned Jerusalem, and hauled the leading people off to Babylon for 70 years of exile. And Zerubbabel, some of the vanguard that's come back into the land, and they're just barely starting to rebuild. We see there these words. Who dares despise the day of small things? Maybe the people who had heard stories of what Solomon's temple looked like. The temple that was massive and majestic, towering over Jerusalem. Beautiful. And here's old Zerubbabel with a bunch of rocks and rubble just going stone by stone. It's so small, so insignificant. People think nothing's going to come of it. Nothing's going to happen. And they look at Israel itself, so weak, come back from exile and yet pressed by the Persians. A couple hundred years pu- pushed by Alexander the Great and the Greeks. Then as Alexander's empire breaks up, pushed by the Seleucids in the north and Ptolemies in the south, and Israel's the battleground where they come and fight each other. Then they're pushed by the Romans. Little, tiny insignificant Israel and yet again here in Zechariah we read these words not by might not by power but by my spirit says the Lord I'm sure Zerubbabel would have really liked having some might and some power We like having might and power. Because when we have might and power, when we have all the resources we can imagine needing lined up, then we just go for it. We can make what happen, what we want to happen, happen. We can make people do the right thing when we have might and power. And yet the Lord says to Zechariah, not by might, not by power, But by my spirit does the Lord. The spirit starts small. Started small with Jesus and his ministry. Started small with Zerubbabel and the rebuilding of the temple and Jerusalem. Think about some of the small ways God might be working in your life. I know that we have reasons to say, no, that that can't be me. We might look at our origins, the, the, the place that we're born. We might look at, at our family tree, our, our ancestry, and, and maybe we know it real well, and we look back and say, well, nobody in my line ever made it to Wikipedia. Nobody's significant, nobody famous. In fact, if you look back there, you see people that, criminals, notorious sinners. What well, I see in my family... No, God can never do anything there. Or it might be that we look at the pains and the problems that we ourselves have gone through. Maybe our own personal history of sin, the ways that we've abandoned God or ignored God or done the wrong thing or failed. We say, I, because of my track record, God can't ever use me. Or it might be we look at our profession. I'm I'm only a farmer. I'm I'm only a plumber. I'm only an electrician. I'm only a hairdresser. I'm only a teacher. I'm only a student. I'm only a mom. I'm I'm only a dad. I'm only a kid. And yet we read in the word, not by might, not by power but by my spirit, says the Lord. We read in Joel, let the weak say they are strong. The strength of the Lord. Consider some of the areas in your life that God might be planting a small, tiny seed. Something that might be a small step for you to take. Might be stepping out in ministry. I know for some of you, you've done that already. It might be that, that you're helping with tech ministry. It might be that you're singing in the choir. and You've never sung in a choir in your life before. You were afraid to open your mouth in front of anybody else before you got up there. But you took that little step and you did it. Or it might be delivering food to people. And you go in and and you don't know what to expect. You don't know if they're going to welcome you as you bring your food. You don't know if they have some dog that's going to run up and bite you or jump on you. But you take that little step. and You take the food. Or maybe you've joined in in some of our ramp building ministry. And you say, I know what a hammer is, but I only break things with it. How how could I be any use there? But you take a little step. You did it. Or or maybe it's teaching children in in Sunday school or or BBS. You say, little little children, scare me. You never know what they're going to say or what they're going to ask. And I don't know if I'll have the answers. And I don't know if I'm good at discipline. But you take that little, tiny step, that little seed that God's planting in your life. Just imagine for a moment a vision of your own life, of what it would look like for you to be wholly devoted to Jesus. What does that look like? Now, maybe for some of you, when when you try to think of that, it seems so far off that it's like saying, okay, let's take a walk to Japan. And he's saying, I can't walk to Japan. It's not just that we have all of Texas. But then there's New Mexico and Arizona and its desert and its mountains and California. And then the Pacific Ocean. I can't do that. So we have this vision of what it would look like for us to be mature in Christ, to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. We say, no, it can't happen. But my prayer is that you have that vision, but that you ask the Lord, what's my next step? Because we can't get from here to there immediately. We have to start small. Maybe so small it seems insignificant. Maybe so small other people might not even notice. But for Hugh, it's huge. I know some of you have made the step in your, in your financial life that you tithe to the church. You give 10%. And other people, you say, man, I could never do that. But, but for some of you, giving a dollar, that might feel huge to you. But it's a first step. We might think of reading the Bible. Some of us, we have Bibles. It might be that our first step is reading a chapter a day. It might be that the next step God's calling you to is memorizing it, finding some verses, finding some passages that you want to sow into your heart, plant in your mind, so they shape the way you think and see things. Small steps. And we can watch for that in our own lives, but also for the lives of others. So that as God opens our eyes to the small steps people are taking and the fruit he's raising up in their lives, we can encourage them. I've told you all before about a fellow from youth group in a church many years ago named Bobby. One Wednesday night, when we were having youth group, I saw Bobby sitting on a table in the fellowship hall, and Bobby looked really angry. So I said, Bobby, what's wrong? He said, those kids are bugging me, and I feel like pounding them into the pavement. And I was so happy, because a week ago or a few weeks ago, Bobby would have just done it. For Bobby, that was a step. That was progress. Talk instead of doing it. What would happen if if we started asking God, God, what small step do you want me to take next? What seed are you planting in my life now that you want me to respond to? Just a small step. Now, it's not going to be the same likely for any of us. But God, through the Spirit, is planting that seed, inviting us to respond, inviting us to say yes to him. Some of us, for that first step, we might need to get some friends to help us. We might need to get somebody to come alongside us and say, God's calling me to do this. And I don't know how to do it, and I don't know if I can do it. Will you pray for me? Will you help me? Will you show me how? That's what we do in the body of Christ. We help each other. And others of you might at some point be on the other side of that. Somebody might come to you and say, Hey, I'm I'm trying to be mature in Christ. I'm trying to be the person God's calling me to be. And then we can say, I'll be there cheering you on. I'll be there encouraging you. I'm not going to be there to laugh at you when you make a mistake. I'm not going to be there to berate you and lecture you when you do a mistake. I'm going to love you and encourage you. What would happen if our our church looked like that? What would happen if, if all of us started saying regularly, Lord, what's my next step with you? What's the next small step you want me to take in pursuit of becoming like Jesus. And then we came alongside each other, did it together, bringing people along with us, not leaving anybody behind because, well, they're just not moving fast enough. What would happen if, if we did that? Well, I think we might see some growth. We, we might see these little black specks turning into flowers might see a little tiny mustard seed growing into something big enough that birds can come and nest in it. We might see the yeast working through the whole lump of dough and producing tasty bread. That's what I'm praying for. In just a few minutes, we're going to go into communion. And we're going to invite you to come to the altar and receive as you come. Try an additional prayer today. Say, Lord, will you show me what my next step is? And put some people around me that will help me take it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your love, for your mercy, and your grace. I thank you that you're willing to start small. Lord, show us today what that small place of beginning is in us, what our next step is. Lord, even as you continue to renew our vision of what life in Christ looks like, let it encourage us, not lead us to despair. Amen.